The Athletic. It's the Totally Football Show, European edition. And ahead of the midweek Champions League games, we've got the answers to your big questions. Will Man City's trip to Paris be the most successful channel crossing since someone who wasn't watching the goal show started watching the goal show? Can Benfica do it on a cold Wednesday against Catalonia's answer to Stoke? Will Sheriff rock the Bernabeu? And Man United, after finding Villa a real problem, will they have a Villarreal problem? All those questions and more tackled in today's Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello there, listener. Thanks so much for joining us. We've got uh, James Horncastle today with Julian Laurence, Raphael Honigstein and Alvaro Romeo. It's the Euro crew. Hello to you all. Hello. 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 Look at that. You can hear the, the tremble of excitement in everyone's voices there ahead of another massive set of matches from the melting pot of kind of cross-continental competition. Above all, another key week this in the uh, battle for coefficient points. So... <laughs> We'll see how that all plays out. Uh, big, big games on the way. Huge news to bring you from the weekend, as as mentioned. Uh, and let's, on that note, begin with the moment of the weekend with Paddy Power. Alvaro. Ansu Fati. The man is back. The boy is back. I mean, he had four um, surgeries in his meniscus. He thought, and we thought, that his career would be in jeopardy. And however, he came back on Sunday. He played only 15 minutes, but uh, six, seven minutes after coming onto the pitch, he scored a beautiful goal, showing that he's got the electricity that he had in the past. So good news for Barcelona. Maybe the manager, mm. Ronald Koeman, has been negative lately, but uh, there are people who are gifted and people who look magical. And Ansu Fati is one of them. So this is the news of the week and the news of the month in La Liga. Ansu Fati is back. Ansu Fati is back. Jules. Has to be lost winning away at Marseille on Sunday night in what was, for me, the best game we've seen in Ligue 1 this season. One of, we've had some really, really amazing games, I think, through the whole weekend in all our leagues. And this one was, was very, very good too. End-to-end stuff, tactically exceptional from both managers, Frank Hayes and Jorge Sampaoli. And in the end, Lance winning it, which take them second in the table in Ligue 1. All right, but a PSG, it leaves PSG fully nine points clear, of course. We'll talk about PSG very shortly. Rafa? I think the uh, scenes or the moment of the weekend were in Freiburg, James. Uh, they won 3-0 against Augsburg. That wasn't that big a deal, but it was also their last ever game in the Dreisamstadion before they moved to the new shiny arena not far from there. And you saw Christian Streich, the Freiburg coach with a megaphone in the stands singing songs and afterwards being very close to tears about this um, last of a game. And yeah, it was quite moving and, and strangely uplifting at the same time. Mm, a bit like when West Ham left Upton Park, no? <laughs> that was different, as I seem to recall. There was a cab right. on the pitch, wasn't there? A black cab on the pitch? Yeah. Didn't they take the um, the stadium apart? or Well... What are they going to do to this place? No, I mean, didn't the fans start sort of start taking the stadium apart? Or am I misremembering? Yeah, but that? in a joyful celebratory they did. fashion. I see. Okay. Mm. Anyway, more on that later. James. The Mal Dynasty. It continues. Calulu, il cross, il colpo di testa, il gol del Milan ha segnato Daniel Maldini, ha segnato Daniel Maldini. La saga continua, la grande dinastia, Paolo. Third generation of Maldini's scoring. Uh, for AC Milan in Serie A, what was it on the front page of Corriere della Sport? Il nipote del diavolo, the uh, devil's grandson. Mm. Um, and yep. Daniel Maldini, not a defender like his grandfather or his father, but a number 10. And uh, so scored earlier in his career than uh, his primogenitors, I suppose. Would that be correct? Um, mm. So there you go. Yeah, on his first league start for the club. Crikey. Milan, of course, are in action. In the Champions League this week, as are so many of the big names in the European game. Let's get cracking then with what awaits on match day two. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. If one leg of your four plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Max free bet £10, minimum odds one to five per leg. Online exclusive, no shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. Woo! 
Champions League, Tuesday and Wednesday, what we got? Milan taking on Atletico Madrid. That looks interesting. Benfica, Barca. Hmm. Juve, Chelsea. You got that lot. Sheriff at Real Madrid. But I think the fixture we need to start with, Monsieur Laurent, is Paris Saint-Germain against Manchester City. Yeah. Uh, now, we we heard from you on in Mondays, totally, and you were kind of harking back to Man City's last visit uh, to the Parc de France when they won 2-1, perhaps a little bit fortunately, uh, in your opinion. What's been the reaction, though, in Paris to the kind of form that City are displaying ahead of this latest visit? Um... Not much. I mean, we talked a lot about the Chelsea game, of course, but we also talked a lot about the Southampton performance the week before, and that was not good mm. at all. So I still think the best news for PhD is the fact that City will then have to go to Liverpool next weekend. And I don't think that Guardiola can keep the same team for those three games in a row away from home, playing the same way as we saw on Saturday against against Chelsea which I would think if he had to pick a game between PSG away in a Champions League game that even if they lose it, they will still qualify for the, for the next round or a game away at Liverpool that can already be another statement after the one at Chelsea for the Premier League title race, etc., etc. I would, I would think, I would hope, I would pray that he chooses the Liverpool one and that maybe it's not the strongest City eleven on Tuesday and he's the strongest City eleven at the weekend against Liverpool. But mm. but regardless, I think they the win against Chelsea showed that when they play like that as a team all together, when they press, when uh, when they're so full of confidence, especially those elevens again, because I think this is City's strongest team. They're so good and devastating. And we were we were sat together with Rafa at the Emirates on Sunday, and we were laughing that PSG are going to get thrashed by City. I think it will depend a lot who plays for City. But certainly, I think PSG face a huge battle for the ball to start with, for not losing it when they have it, secondly. And thirdly, to progress with it. Because, again, I know it's a bit cliche, but this, this is the key of it, is how well PSG will be able to progress with the ball uh, and how far and, and how well they will be able to keep it when they have it. Because if City press the way they did against Chelsea, I think PSG will have a lot of trouble. You mentioned the Southampton game, which saw Hasenhutl's uh, approach of putting a bit of his own pressing on on Man City, proving very effective in, in, in keeping Pep's side quiet. It's kind of hard to imagine PSG's front three really doing anything similar tactically. I think they would probably try. I hope they try. Uh, and we're still not Messi sure. Messi, Mbappe and, and, and Neymar will be pressing, you feel? Yeah, I mean, they did it against Lyon, if you'd watch that mm. game. Uh, ah, yes, uh, here we go. Of course, but you don't watch Get the, the popcorn, Raph. It's time. It's not as good as Serie A. Um, and, but, but they don't do it as consistently and as efficiently as City do, of course. But I don't think any... I mean, apart from Liverpool, maybe not really anyone else does it that way. And that's the problem. Whether they, they will do it on, over 10 seconds in, in, in one move and then recover the ball, that will help. The problem is if they do it over 10 seconds, don't recover the ball, then after that, they're in trouble. And, and, again, and then, the, and then you, you repeat it again. That's the problem. But I agree with you. I was a bit cheeky, but it's, you're, you're right. It, this is where he will be played. If PSG can beat City's press or some of it, and how well or how deep PSG will press, how efficiently they will press, that, will, that would be a key as well. We saw Chelsea not pressing at all for an hour and, and that was not good enough from them. Mm. But I do think that even if Di Maria is still suspended for that game, which I think is a huge blow... Uh, and we're still not sure if Messi will play or not. He's been training since Sunday, so technically it should be okay to start. It'd be very interesting to see what that front three do, but certainly at least having Messi will help you keeping the ball, that's for sure, keeping hold of the ball. Mm. Okay. Meantime, and this is unusual, there's reports of a row between players at Paris Saint-Germain. Footage uh, during the 2-0 win over Montpellier at the weekend showing Kylian Mbappé insulting his teammate Neymar, at least com- complaining about his behaviour, that clochard doesn't pass me the ball. So we're not sure if it's clochard or not, but yeah, it, it could be worse than that. It could, some say ah. it's chien as in dog, some say it's Oof. batard as in like bastards. Uh, whatever it is, that first word is not very nice towards, me, towards right. Neymar, that's what we know for sure. And yet he, did, he says if indeed to, to Gay, he doesn't, he doesn't pass me the ball because Neymar has just passed the ball to Draxler and Draxler scored the second goal for PSG. And the point was, look, when I'm on the pitch, he doesn't give me the ball. And now he's Draxler and he gives the ball to Draxler for that goal. 
obviously I can name you, I don't know, 15 incidents where Neymar was on his own in the box, literally free, and Mbappe chose to shoot. And I can give you the other way around as well. And I think we could look at a lot of teams and it's, and it's the same as well. But apparently they met their friends again. They're happy again. They're in love with each other again. Uh, they didn't last long, the, the argument. But uh, it's still funny. I, I do wonder how often if the camera was on someone, and especially a big star that has been subbed off not having a great game, how often you would have that kind of reaction of, oh, look, you know, when it's me, it's this and that. Because... Because I don't know, I do it when I play football, so maybe a lot of other people do. Right, he forgot to put his hand over his mouth, Jules. Yeah, that's it. There you go. Rafa, you saw Man City in action on match day one, dismantling a brave and battling RB Leipzig. What do you think of PSG's chances, or City's chances? I think City must be seen as favourites because of their return to form against Chelsea. They played one of the best games, I think, in months. They looked very, very strong. They were not disrupted. And I think it could be a similar game against PSG because I don't quite see how this PSG attack can really press. They didn't try it against Bayern. I don't think they really tried in the semi-final. I don't see them disrupting the game high up the pitch and then it comes to really trying to play on the break, which they do so well, of course. Uh, with all the pace that they had, that's how they got past Bayern. But against City, they had very few options because City won the ball back so quickly. And I think I'd be very surprised if City don't win this game. I think City are too hot to handle at this point. Woof. All right. Well, the other game in that group, meanwhile, sees RB Leipzig taking on the club that held PSG to a draw in their opening game, Club Bruges, who themselves were held 1-1 by Leuven. On Friday night, some Friday night Leuven for Bruges. Uh, they had 31 shots, but couldn't get past that 1-1 that scoreline. Uh, Leipzig, by contrast, Rafa, big confidence booster for Jesse Marsh. Uh, a whopping 6-0 win this weekend. Auch dank Klasse Tupet Poppe im Zweikampf. Haidara nochmal im Strafraum und 6-0. Klasse. That's what uh, Hertha could do for you. Um, <laughs> we have a name for this kind of team in German. As you know, we have a name for almost anything, but uh, call it Aufbaugegner. It's an opponent that builds you up, that cheers you up. Auf? Aufbaugegner. Aufbaugegner. Yeah. You try it, listener. Yeah. And mm. I mean, Leipzig were good. They reverted to their classic Nagelsmann-type system with a 3-4-3 because the back four hadn't really worked so far for Jesse Marsh. Hertha were very poor. But still, there were one or two big performances, uh, especially from Christopher Nkunku, born and bred in Paris, or maybe just outside uh, Paris in Larny-sur-Marne, um, same place where Paul Pogba is from, I've been mm. reliably informed. And this guy's been threatening to have a breakthrough moment now for quite some time, and his hat-trick against City was lost or a little bit overlooked by the fact that they lost 6-3. But now two more goals against Hertha, two assists as well if you count the penalty that he won. And he was absolutely outstanding. I think Bruges, although they did so well against PSG, I think they will have a hard time. I expect Leipzig to come back with a big win to, to be once again in the mix, depending on a little bit on the outcome and the other game. Of course, a draw would be ideal for them. But I think they'll, they'll come back. Hmm. Well, as it stands in the Bundesliga, they're still down in the bottom half. RB Leipzig in 10th place. We'll hear more about uh, Germany's top division, the latest on Bayern, a big shock for Borussia and that kind of thing a little later on. But next up, more of Tuesday's Champions League action. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Elsewhere on Tuesday, Group B, 
sees Porto taking on Liverpool. They have a good record away at Porto do Liverpool. Milan, meanwhile, are taking on Atletico Madrid. Alvaro, Atletico Madrid beaten this weekend 1-0 by Alaves. A squad, uh, as we mentioned previously, with who? Griezmann, Correa, Suarez, Cunha, João Felix, that's failed to score in three of their last four games. That is concerning. I also believe that uh, the fact that Atletico Madrid's defence is not as good as it was in the past is something very worrying as well. You know, mm, normally when uh, you see Atletico de Madrid and you try to predict what they are going to do in their games, you can say that they are going to win 2-0, you know, as... Uh, as uh, they uh, in the jargon of uh, betting houses, and uh, you you are normally right uh, when you when you expect that from Atlético de Madrid, especially against teams of the caliber of Alaves. Not this season. Uh, they have played eight games and they have only won to nil one game against Elche, and they were terrible that day. For the rest of the games they've been playing, they have suffered a lot uh, to get a point or to get the three points. And this defeat against Alaves, even though it is, yes, surprising, it is not too surprising because against Getafe in midweek, they were terrible and they almost dropped the points at the Coliseum Alfonso Pérez and it was Luis Suárez uh, who came as a savior with, uh, with the brace. But Atletico is concerning. Uh, I believe that they lifted the trophy in 2021, but they won the league in 2020. I'm going to explain this well. The first half of last season, they got 50 points. And then I believe that they won the league with 87 in total. So the second half of the season wasn't good. And they carried that dynamic into this season as well. Griezmann so far hasn't impressed. I think that it's an adaptation thing, even though he knows the club, it's a new scenario. And the players who were doing very well before Griezmann arrived... Correa, for example, are not having so much playing time, obviously, because Griezmann is there. Luis Suarez, he always starts the seasons slowly, even more now that he's uh, 34 years old, or born in 1987, he's going to be 34 soon. And um, in defense, they are not good enough. So they have lost a little bit all those cardinal points that Atletico de Madrid uh, knew how to how to keep and how to defend and how to boast. And uh, I think that this game is going to be quite tricky for them, really. Let's don't take as granted that Atletico de Madrid is going to qualify in the Champions League because last season they suffered. And uh, I remember that in 2017, they didn't qualify in the group stage. And they had a really tough group stage as well with Roma, with Chelsea, and they didn't make it. So, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about the Spanish champion. Hmm. It is a tough group they're in with Porto and Liverpool and the Rossoneri, who, by contrast, have scored in all of their games so far, haven't they, eh? Eh, James? Off to their best start in ages. So many threats at their disposal. Olivier Giroud is back fit now, as is the youngster who you mentioned before, Daniel Maldini, who I think is unlikely to start here. It'll be Brahim Diaz who, who, who takes over the number 10 role again. Yeah, best start since last season, but I think they're a better team um, than they were last year because as much as we can talk about some of the new signings, like uh, Giroud, who will bring his Champions League experience, you know, Giroud's hardly played, either because of COVID or because he's had a bad back. Same goes for Zlatan, um, you know, paid 15 minutes. I think what's really impressed me about Milan is that the young players have taken another step forward. Um, they look more mature, um, they're more decisive. Brahim Diaz has been their main difference maker this season, three goals in six games. Coming in for Chalinolu, who obviously went to, to Inter, gives them something uh, different. Uh, Leal, um, even though he can be frustrating at times, giving the ball away, you know, he has pace, dribbling, 1v1 ability. I mean, he came on second half against Spezia, had seven shots, uh, makes things happen. Uh, and also Tenali's been playing a lot from the start, either because, you know, Kessie's head hasn't exactly been right whilst these contracts talks have been going on. Benesse's had a few injury issues. I think they'll have learnt from their first game in the Champions League uh, this season at Anfield. I don't think it's going to get any tougher uh, than that, to be honest. Um, yeah, they bent in that game, but they did not break. You know, they went behind. They could have been 3-0 down after 15 minutes. They come back, they're 2-1 up at half time. Um, you know, I, I think that prepared them for the difference in athleticism, uh, skill um, that there is at this level in the Champions League. And, you know, Atleti coming to San Siro is full circle because that was the last opponent Milan played in the Champions League seven years ago. Um, and I think in some respects, it, it shows how far they've kind of 
they've come, that they're back here, and let's see what they can do uh, against this Atleti side, which is Alvaro has just uh, mentioned. Uh, you know, a big name, but have been vulnerable in, in, in Champions League group stages over the last five years. I think back to even when Roma were in that group with them and Chelsea and ended up qualifying and reaching the Champions League semi-finals. So let's see. Mm-hmm. Simeone, of course, bit of an interlegend, so this will be an especially keenly felt fixture for him. All right, the other game in the group is Porto against Liverpool. Porto did win 2-1 against Gil Vicente uh, this weekend. They are second in Liga Nosh to Benfica, who've made a perfect start. Liverpool, though, have scored nine goals in their last two visits to the Dragao back in 2018 and 2019, so they're probably quite confident about that. So... Uh, Shall we move on to Group C, perhaps? Also played on Tuesday. It features Ajax, who you recall two weeks ago destroyed Sporting. They'll be taking on Besiktas. While Dortmund take on the team from Lisbon. Dortmund dealing with the worst news in football, an Erling Haaland injury. Is he going to be back fit, Rafa? Uh, It's touch and go, but most people think he might not make it alongside uh, Marco Royce, who's also going to be a big miss, and who was indeed... A big miss against Gladbach and one of the reasons why they didn't perform so well. It would be time, Rafa, for Mukoko to to score and to become the youngest ever Champions League scorer then. Yeah, it'd be a good time, but you could see that he wasn't quite, <laughs> um, I think, mature enough to lead the line so effectively, which maybe is to be expected. I think maybe they will play for the, with a false nine uh, against Sporting. Uh, they also missed Julian Brandt and Julian Reyna, so a little bit short up front. Uh, against Gladbach, I think they'll have those two coming back, though. So this weekend, Gladbach, of course, Marco Rosa taking on his former side, and it was a 1-0 defeat. First time that Dortmund didn't score or even manage a shot on target in a Bundesliga game for a year, a run of 56 matches. Crikey. Uh, How concerned are you, then, uh, in this clash with Sporting Lisbon, Rafa? Well, I think they they should play a lot better. It was one of those almost traditional Dortmund performances where they turn up at a team that's struggling and somehow be like an Aufbau Gegner for them. Uh, we've seen that before. <laughs> say it, yeah. Um, in this particular case, they made things much more difficult for themselves by having a player sent off fairly early. Moda Hood committing two fouls and then remonstrating with the referee and then being sent off with a second yellow uh, for his reaction rather than the foul, which was completely unnecessary and made made things difficult for Dortmund. They still created a few chances, but they lacked that punch up front. They lacked that conviction and they conceded a goal that uh, was a bit of a pinball effect in, in the box and the ball just bouncing around between players and falling into the path of Dennis Zakaria. So, yeah, I mean, disappointing from Dortmund, but it, as is often the case, they don't tend to have two bad games in a row. I think they'll they'll bounce back with the help of the crowd, etc., and actually put in a, a decent performance again. Okay, well, Sporting didn't look uh, too much cop uh, in their opening game of the Champions League. Certainly, when they were utterly taken apart at home to Ajax. Ajax this time will be up against Besiktas. Uh, Ajax continuing their triumphant run in the Eredivisie this weekend, a 3-0 win over Grunigan. Their goal difference is now 34-1 against. Well, their goal difference is 29, but that's how they get there. A Turkish champions, Besiktas, warmed up Friday night by losing to Altay in their first domestic defeat of the season, yes. Oh, by the way, speaking of the Turkish Super League, if you were keen for more news about Mario Balotelli's new side, Adana Demispor, then you'll be delighted to know they won 4-0 over Gaziantep on Saturday. Balotelli did score. So did Brit Asomalonga. And there was an own goal from Stephen Corker. Boom. Besiktas facing Sebastian Allaire, who of course got four in that incredible performance away at Sporting. A Group D, meanwhile, just to finish off Tuesday's fixtures, offers us Shakhtar Inter. And hey, Real Madrid hosting Transnistrian's Sheriff. So Shakhtar Inter, three times they met last year at James. A couple of nil-nils in the Champions League and, the, and the, uh, a big 5-nil win in the Europa League semi-final. But that was before, you know, when they had Lukaku and stuff. How do you feel about this game here? Well, I think that was one of the most frustrating things for Conte last season. Uh, was after hammering uh, Shakhtar on their way to the Europa League final. Uh, they couldn't beat them uh, in the group stages. And not for a lack of trying. The goalkeeper, 
just had incredible games in both of them. Uh, I think if you look at the XG uh, from the first leg and the second leg, it would be like 7.03 into um, 0.2 Shakhtar and it was nil-nil. Uh, and it, it very much felt the same in the other one as well. So I think they'll have a bit of a point to prove. Obviously, there's, there's a change of manager uh, at Shakhtar. It's now Roberto Di Zerbi who... Um, Serie A fans uh, will know very well from his days at Sassuolo playing very entertaining style of uh, football based on trying to invite your opponent onto you and pass your way through them. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, it's been up and down for him so far in the Champions League. As Jules said, Shakhtar are very lucky to get past Monaco in the playoffs. Um, they obviously lost to Sheriff. They didn't deserve to lose that game. I watched the, uh, I watched the highlights back. Yeah, they had the better chances and, and kind of got mugged in the end. Um, so it should be quite an entertaining game. So let's see. I, I, you know, I, I think the takeaway from that Real Madrid game that Inter had was they played extremely well for an hour, should have been 2-0 up. Thibaut Courtois had a superb game and they ended up losing it in the last minute, which was very Inter under Conte. So let's see if they can actually break that cycle and show that they can get into the knockout stages. They'll have to obviously beat Shakhtar in order to do that. They had a classically wild interperformance uh, this Saturday against Atalanta, a game that featured 40 shots and four goals, a, a couple for either side. What do you think then, Alvaro, after, after they defeated Shakhtar at 2-0? Can Sheriff arrest uh, Real Madrid's progress? Hmm? I think Real Madrid is going to shoot at the Sheriff a lot. They're going to take plenty of shots because they've got plenty of players that they've got a scoring agenda as well and they want to impress the manager. We know that Karim Benzema, he's Real Madrid's top scorer, he didn't score this weekend because Real Madrid was held to a nil-nil draw against Villarreal. And the likes of Rodrigo or Vinicius, uh, they look sharp, even Eden Hazard, he should be starting to impress Carlo Ancelotti because so far his season has been below par again. So I believe that Real Madrid is going to go for it full gas this time. And the recent games uh, at home in the Champions League have been... Uh, pretty sloppy, I would say, when it comes to Real Madrid. Their numbers at home are not good. They, think they have won only five of their last 12 home European games. So this is time for Real Madrid to get their act together. I believe that this is a team that is better going forward than uh, staying back and defending, like they were two seasons ago. This Real Madrid with Ancelotti plays a very happy football, as they did in 2014 until 2016. And um, again, um, it's energetic too. This is uh, something new at Real Madrid. Uh, the likes of Camavinga and Valverde in midfield. Camavinga, by the way, uh, what a landing in Spanish football. He's been very good. They are providing a lot of physicality. So if Real Madrid was missing something in their midfield, was uh, some good legs because Cross, uh, Modric, Casemiro, um, they are, you know, obviously slow players or not very quick. And uh, these two, however, Valverde and Camavinga, they are very physical. And I believe that this is bringing Real Madrid something they didn't have before. So I can imagine Sheriff suffering against the Real Madrid, even though Cross, Mendy, Ceballos, Gareth Bale, Carvajal won't be playing still. I mean, the golf in quality is massive. Well, absolutely. Uh, Real Madrid, the team with more that's won more European Cup or Champions League glory than anyone against the side only just make its first few steps in the competition. Such an unknown quantity in many ways, uh, Sheriff. Uh, we had Sasha on the, the, the Monday show, actually, yesterday. So I asked him a little bit more about Transnistria's finest. It almost feels like the football's final frontier. And places like that, you know, people, people do what they need to survive, I suppose. And even by Soviets, by post-Soviet standards, it's a really bizarre, it's a really bizarre place. Um, and, of course, a good relationship with actual Moldova, uh, you know, what they stand for, the way it's, you know, it's it's a one-company country, if you like. Because I, I was sort of talking to a few people and I, I was trying to sort of form my opinion on it. And to me, yeah, it, it, it just, it's this really weird relic of the Soviet Union, plus sort of these, these messy early 90s that Soviet Union went through. And it kind of just stayed in stasis. And... I haven't been there, you know. I've, I've, you know, I've spoken to people. I, saw, I look at stuff online. It is just like a grotty, uh, you know, second-rate Soviet city, which is which has this team in the Champions League, which has obviously nothing to do with the locality, the first team. You could see that the second team is full of locals, and they get battered in the Youth Champions League. Um, but yeah, but also you think of the dysfunction of the league and the way the competition is completely distorted. But then you also have to look at the fact 
uh, that Moldova was always a footballing backwater. There's there's no football there back back in the Soviet days. There's no, you know, there's the Nistru who became Zimbru were the one club, and nothing really happened in the rest of it. So yeah, it's the final frontier suddenly ending up in the Champions League, and I think everybody should follow this story. Everybody who who is interested in history and who is interested in sociology, because it is an absolutely astonishingly fascinating case study for me. Wow. Who else has a strange feeling that Sheriff could just collapse and lose 5-0? I don't know. What do you think? Real Madrid hasn't played, hasn't played Champions League football at Santiago Bernabéu for almost two years. Don't forget that. Right. So this is uh, also very important for them because they want to unveil the new ground in the Champions League with a win. Mm. Sheriff are currently third in Moldova, but they do have three games in hand. Anyway, well, that's one of the delights that we'll be featuring, of course, in the Goals Show. On Tuesday and Wednesday, BT Sport 1 from 7.45. Hmm, alrighty. And next up, let's hear more about what awaits on Wednesday. So, Mr. Bielsa, what's troubling you? Well, Doctor, my translator is constantly undermining me. Last week, I told everyone to take five and get an ice cream, but he told them to run laps and practice their shooting. Sometimes it seems they don't know what they're doing, but with Paddy Power, you always know you're getting top draw rewards. If one leg of your bet builder on a football game lets you down, get your money back as a free bet. Paddy Power! Pretty much bet builder bets only. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Min four plus legs. Min odds one fifth per leg. Online exclusive. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Become aware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad free on The Athletic, this is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Wednesday's game see Barcelona in action. As ever, Catalonia's answer to Stoke have had ooh, seven busy days, actually. They had that draw midweek at home to Granada. Then you have manager Ronald Koeman making disparaging remarks about Tiki Tiki and walking out of his press conference. Uh, this weekend, that historic 3-0 win over Levante. And even handier, as you mentioned at the start, the return of Ansu Fati. Woof. OK. And he scored as well. His first appearance since November 2020. And... Although it was only Levante, uh, a, a much-needed morale boost, a bit of Alf Bam Gegen <laughs> thing. Alf Bogigna. Exactly. Yeah, uh, the Alf Bogigna came against Levante that uh, has, <laughs> <laughs> uh, has not won, has not won a, a, a league game in the last 15 games. Uh, if you right. take the last season and this season combined... Levante is in a very bad run, and I think that any analysis that we do of Barcelona's win over Levante uh, need to have that asterisk. Okay, Levante was very bad. Levante is very bad at the minute to the point that the managers are under questioning. But Barcelona played with plenty of academy players. I think that seven or eight featured in this game because there were some absentees. And um, Barcelona played in the midfield with the three La Masia players, Nico, Gavi, and Busquets. And they understood each other very well. One of them, Nico, by the way, is the son of Fran, a former Deportivo de la Coruña player, a very famous Spanish guy. Uh, he was very good, uh, his father. And I believe that Barcelona played at least with um, that uh, hunger to win the game. And Barcelona, in a way, denied the message of Ronald Koeman because last week Ronald Koeman was saying that Barcelona couldn't compete for the Champions League and that in the league they could only qualify for the Champions League. And even though this can be true in his eyes, this message cannot be sent out because Barcelona cannot send out a message of uh, a defeated message. So I think the players, one by one, unanimously, I would say, uh, Sergi Roberto, Piqué, and Sufati as well, uh, yesterday after scoring a goal, they say that they want to win titles and they don't believe this message of Ronald Koeman. So it was good to see this um, positivity among Barcelona players and Ansu Fati returned and he scored the goal, as I said before, right after coming on uh, from the bench. And this is a player that has been missed in Spanish football. It was very revealing, in my opinion, that when Spain lost to Italy in the Euro semifinals, Luis Enrique mentioned Ansu Fati in the press conference 
after the game because he missed him. Because Ansu Fati is actually considered one of the best Spanish prospects and Barcelona is going to benefit from him. Look, the best thing for Ansu Fati is that he's 17 or 18 years old. He recovered from four uh, surgeries in his meniscus and he's playing well and he didn't seem to be scared to go for the ball and to clash with players and all that. But uh, it is very promising. It is very promising that Ansu Fati is back. Okay. As for Ronald Koeman, Alvaro, it, it, it does seem to be very much a question of when, not if. But at the same time, no time soon. I did see you tweeting about Roberto Martinez being linked to the the Barcelona position. What's that all about? And what happened to Xavi, by the way? Uh, well, the Xavi and Laporta um, relationship is not uh, as perfect as you as you may imagine, because they uh, they, in the past they worked together, and Laporta was Xavi's president when Xavi was a player there. So the Xavi thing at the minute is not. It's not happening. There are two things here. Uh, number one, Barcelona hasn't even paid the liquidation, the severance package to Kike Setien. So he will have to pay Setien and then Kuman, I guess. And number two, that uh, Barcelona hasn't identified if Roberto Martinez is the perfect candidate or not. He's one of the candidates. So Ronald Kuman is staying there because Joan Laporta hasn't found a perfect candidate. It's simple as that. And in summer, he asked Ronald Kuman for a little bit of time to find for a candidate. Uh, which was a very bold move because Ronald Koeman stayed and he said, all right, fine, I wait until you find your candidate and if you don't find one, I stay. And he, he finally stayed at Barcelona. So the relationship is not broken, but it's very cold between them both. And uh, for Ronald Koeman, it's going game by game. I think that Ronald Koeman's philosophy right now is just to make sure that nothing is his fault. He has been saying uh, in, over the last week that Barcelona cannot compete, that the team needs more time. So basically he's been adding excuses to the lot, but I think that Barcelona doesn't need that. Mm. Well, could be another set of excuses wheeled out on Wednesday after they visit Benfica. Uh, they have an excellent record, uh, Benfica. Uh, not only this season in Liga Nosh, where they are seven wins out of seven, but also in Europe at home. One five of their last six so it could be a tough game this for a Barcelona team that Levantia's side have been struggling. And of course, still without Aguero and Dembele and uh, Martin Braithwaite. Uh, the other game in this group, Rafa features Bayern Munich, who beat Barcelona 3-0 at the Camp Nou last time. They'll be hosting Kiev. Uh, oh, that's a Champions League semi-final from 1999, Bayern against Dinamo Kiev. Anyway, more, more recently, and perhaps more relevantly, this weekend saw Bayern... With a 3-1 win away at... Uh, how do you pronounce this side? Greuter Fürth. Yeah. Was it a great effort for Bayern against... Uh... <laughs> uh, it wasn't really. I mean, they had uh, Benjamin Pavard sent off and played most of the second half with 10 men, but still managed to win fairly comfortably 3-1. Julian Nagelsmann changed the formation a little bit. He'd been playing with a back four mostly. It was more of a back three. But... Yeah, Bayern sort of did their typical Bayern thing. They just did what was necessary. And when they had the players sent off, they just managed managed their lead and with never really any danger of um, of third coming back into it. Third, one of the newly promoted sides and I think more or less destined to go straight down again. They're just not quite good enough. That's now 23 goals for Julian Nagelsmann's side in his first six Bundesliga games in charge, which is... A new record for a new coach, which was previously Hansi Flick had set a new best. So Nagelsmann's doing even better than that. Yeah, he's doing well. Of course, he's he's got a fantastic team. He, I think, is beginning to get his ideas uh, very effectively onto the pitch. A very interesting segment between him and Ralf Rangnick in a new TV show in Germany where they talked about the tactics of Bayern and went into great details of how he sets up his team and how they build from the back. I think it's only available in, in Germany at the moment, but uh, if you are listening in Germany and have access to that, uh, it's really worth worth checking out on The Zone. What's it called, Rafa? It's called Decoded, and it's on yeah. The Zone. The, the biggest uh, biggest positive for Bayern is that uh, Leroy Sané, who was one of the sort of problem players, if you will, in the last season and even at the beginning of this one, is becoming a really well-adapted, fully-fledged Bayern player in the attitude and the way he reacts to losing the ball, first one to press, very energetic, hard-working and very effective in, in a new role 
on the left side where he often plays more of a number 10 rather than a winger. He's very inside with a lot of freedom to to go into the box. And it's been very, very effective and very encouraging. So yeah, Bayern, Bayern are looking good. And uh, Robert Pires, our old friend, um, did an interview in Kicker magazine today and he said uh, for him, Bayern are the favourites to win the Champions League because they've been so impressive. Raf in Decoded, um, did they did they talk about what we proposed last week, which is you know if Bayern you know were made to play in Lederhosen, they they might find it tricky, or did this did this pass Ralph Ranick by? Uh, I saw Julian Nuggerson came to training on a skateboard the other day. Um, mm. Yeah, um, I don't no. think you could do that in Lederhosen, but okay, fine. No, no, sure. but it's it's something that might be might be an option for the second second episode I'll, okay. I'll see if I can talk to find them. somebody and put a word in <laughs> yeah. if Bayern are playing Lederhosen I want to see you in Lederhosen as well oh maybe that can be a bit pay. of a I would pay for that. whether or not Bayern are playing in Lederhosen I want to see James in, in Lederhosen <laughs> what you want, want to do as well with this proposal is get it on the desk of Arsene Wenger because that's who's going to move it forward uh, Alvaro sorry I think you had something perhaps yeah. more relevant to offer no, no, I don't think that uh, nothing can be more relevant than that. But uh, what about the the age of Bayern, Rafa? Uh, they are as young as Dortmund now. Uh, it puzzles me how well they have uh, rebuilt the squad. And they've got like six or seven players who must be under 26 easily. And they've got the best of their careers to come in defense, in midfield, up front. The only veterans players are Müller, Neuer and Lewandowski as far as I can think of. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, the transition is nearly done and it's very important that they manage to keep Goretzka and Kimmich with new contracts here, the, the key players of the new Bayern that will follow on from this axis that you mentioned. But of course, replacing the three that you did mention is still going to be a big thing. Neuer will play for a couple of more years. That's no problem. Uh, Lewandowski probably as well. Müller, maybe one or two more years. But then... I think those key positions, Müller less in terms of the position on the pitch, but his position in the dressing room and as a figurehead of this Bayern team, I think finding another guy like him from Bavaria is going to be tough. And then finding the new Lewandowski is going to be it's going to be interesting. But yeah, I think you're right. I think Bayern, despite making a few mistakes when it comes to the fringe players, where they haven't really been so effective, have managed to move on from the 2013 team and uh, beginning to to build a new team that's ready to to challenge once more. I think that mm. they've been helped by the fact that Spain, both in Real Madrid and Barcelona, have not been a, a real factor in the last uh, couple of years, and also in this summer's transfer window. That's made it a little bit easier for them to keep their big players because otherwise you'd have maybe expected, you know, Lewandowski being tempted, uh, Goretzka, Kimmich, these kind of guys. But yeah, now Bayern. Bayern look quite good. Well, you can see Bayern in action this Wednesday against Dinamo Kiev. Alvaro, Group F, Man United's group, that's next. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. With Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is handy for when Spurs stop pretending to be this ruthless winning machine and revert back to type. Ready for the fast bit? Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. It's over 18's only. And please, gamble responsibly. Group F, everybody. Who's bottom of it? Man United. 
Man United, who were beaten by Villa this weekend, who were beaten by young boys on match day one, are they heading for another defeat as they welcome Villarreal? Uh, this Wednesday, Alvaro, you were mentioning before how Villarreal had had held Real Madrid to a goalless draw, which is kind of what Unai Emery's team do just this weekend. What, what do you think about this one? Well, they have done that with Real Madrid. They did that with Chelsea in August, and they did that with Manchester United in May. They all those three games, they end up with a draw for Villarreal. This is a team that has invested heavily this summer. And thank God for them, because they have lost Gerard Moreno, I believe, for this game against Manchester United. But they've got Dan Juma up front, and uh, Paco Alcácer is there, so I guess that they will be playing up front. But Unai Emery knows that uh, the secret of this Villarreal is to make sure that the game is played at the rhythm they want. And he manages to, to do that, which is, which is fantastic, really. You have to compliment the manager who manages to get his team uh, impose their style in the game and I think Villarreal does it in the big games of course playing at Old Trafford is going to be difficult I can imagine Manchester United uh, producing many shots from different ranges as well and that's going to be very difficult to defend for Pau Torres and Raúl Albiol who are fantastic defenders by the way and together they form a fantastic partnership but one thing that Villarreal has this season that didn't have last season is a speed up front uh, with the signings so I am expecting Manchester United to be a slightly favourite just because they play at home. But this Villarreal team, they're going to be in trouble for, for anyone because nobody signs particularly, but as a team, they play very well. And also, uh, I think that it was Ancelotti the other day who praised Unai Emery's way of uh, playing the ball from the back. I mean, it's very impressive how they are doing uh, all that. And this is also a learning curve for Unai Emery. When he was Sevilla manager, and especially Almeria manager or Valencia manager, his teams didn't play so much from the back. But I think that he learned something new at PSG, at Arsenal probably. He updated his own, uh, his own grammar book, let's put it that way. And uh, Villarreal is playing very well. Yeah. Man United, big difference for them since their last meeting with Villarreal, the addition of Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, however... They go into this match with Aaron Wan-Bissaka out suspended. Shaw will be injured. Uh, Maguire, I'm not sure if he'll, he'll be available either, but some significant problems at the back then. Yes, they are. And uh, I think that Manchester United, they've got probably some doubts ahead of this game after having lost to Aston Villa, uh, after having lost against Young Boys, because losing with 10 men is something that can happen in the Champions League. But getting your team totally dismantled when you are reduced to 10 men is something that doesn't happen to the big teams. The big teams know how to uh, operate when they are uh, reduced to 10 men. And Manchester United didn't know how to do that. So, And then Jesse Lingard gave the ball away and um, Jan Boyce scored in the last minute. Yes, I know that. But I think that there are some doubts at Manchester United. It doesn't help that Bruno Fernandes took a penalty of Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, that thing has to be probably solved as well ahead of this game. I don't think that Bruno Fernandes is going to take many shoots from the spot from now on seriously he's a better penalty mm. taker than cristiano though yeah probably but well, no it's not cristiano is not bad either cristiano must have a 0. 0.8 rating man nah, that's not bad nah it's i what? mean it's nothing compared cristiano with bruno's yeah bruno is 92 percent over the last 18 months or something cristiano is only 80 percent bruno if you're listening keep taking penalties keep taking free kicks don't listen to your portuguese friend just be you okay I'm, I'm going to say, and this is actually, I, I feel probably true, that his rate could have been whatever it was when Ronaldo wasn't standing within five metres of him. But the presence of the, of the guy who's his daddy in the Portugal side, I reckon, it's, just, it's, in, his, it's in his head. It's no accident that he completely spaffed that over the bar at the weekend. I'm telling you. Uh, anyway, there you go. Well, it sounds like a delicate fixture, that one for Man United. But the kind of game that Cristiano Ronaldo loves to play in Mr. Champions League, we'll see. Also in that group, young boys who upset United last time will be visiting Bergamo to take on Atalanta. James, is another surprise in the offing? Are we going to see Atalanta produce one of their really special performances? What do you think? Well, it's Champions League. I wouldn't rule anything out. If young boys can beat Manchester United, they can beat Atalanta. But what I would say is this is what Atalanta's first Champions League game at home in front of a crowd. Mm. Um, yeah, they've been in this competition three years and, you know, because of playing their first season in it at San Siro whilst uh, the Garris Arena was undergoing uh, some renovation, uh, they didn't get to play in it and then obviously COVID hit. So I think it will be a big occasion uh, for the Atalantini 
And yeah, they've been playing very well the last few weeks. We we mentioned they'd had quite a lacklustre start. They were still winning. Um, but boy, do they look uh, electric again uh, right now with Zapata, who is unplayable at his best. I spoke to Leonardo Bonucci um, this morning, mainly about Chelsea and Juventus. Uh, we spoke a little bit about Lukaku, but he said one of the hardest players he's had to play against over the last few years is Duvan Zapata, without a doubt. And then Malinowski, who's been, who's kind of picked up where he left off last season. Um, uh, had surgery over the summer after Euros, took a little bit out of him, but now he looks like he's back to his best. So yeah, um, I would expect an Atalanta win. We'll see. Okay. What did Bonucci say about the Chelsea game? Is he worried? <laughs> uh, is he worried? Uh, well, I mean, you'll have to wait and see. It comes out on uh, Wednesday morning. But he was very good on uh, Cristiano uh, and the impact of having Cristiano on your team. Uh, what that means when he's there, what it means when he leaves. Um, mm. and, um, and how you have to kind of relearn how to be Juventus again. So, yeah, check it out. Okay, I'll make sure to do that. Out on Wednesday, of course, Juve going into that clash with Chelsea with some really bad injury news, which is that Paolo Dybala, the man who's supposed to step up after Ronaldo's departure and has been doing that and scored a brilliant goal and uh, provided a couple of great chances as well this weekend in the victory over Sampdoria, is now out with... What exactly does he have, James? Well, I'm not going to go into the specific anatomical... Uh, muscle that he's tweaked but it's a it's a left thigh issue that will he had a scan on uh, Monday morning at uh, Juventus's bespoke medical facility J Medical um, and he's been ruled out for this game the Turin Derby obviously then there's the international break they hope to have him back after that uh, but Morata will also miss this game as well he's got another uh, muscle tweak um, so it looks like Allegri is going to completely have to rethink uh, his options in attack um, so you know, I think we'll probably see and maybe play 4-2-3-1, 4-4-2 with Kulusevsky off Moise Ken. Not ideal, but it's it's what they've got. Mm. First meeting this ever of Allegri and Tuchel across the football pitch. Reportedly two men who Chelsea were talking to about taking over the manager's position uh, back in January. So no, not, not no? Allegri. Uh, Allegri, I mean, okay. one of the things that was quite interesting when we were reporting that was that they were nowhere near Allegri. It was it was German or or bust, wasn't it, Raf? It was that they were looking at German options, and that was that was pretty much it. Right, Raf is nodding. Okay, how how ready do you think are Juve for Chelsea? Uh, not as ready as they would like, um, because you know, Cristiano left a couple of days before the transfer window closed. You know, I think they're still learning how to defend as a team. Again, Bonucci was quite good on that, saying, yeah, you know, ultimately. They've gone down this street of rejuvenating the old lady. Uh, they've, they've they've tried to bring in young players. You know, you look at the signings that they made this summer. They're all 23 or under. Um, builds on kind of signings of Delict, um, signings of Chiesa last summer. And you know, when you come to Juve, it's it's not easy to basically adapt your mentality to what is is needed at that club, and it takes time. So, you know, I, I think what we've seen and the, the strange thing about. Juventus really is that they haven't uh, kept a clean sheet in the league in, in 20 games. Uh, it's their worst run in that respect since 1955. And yet that defence that they've got, you know, with Bonucci and Chiellini was the one that that won uh, the European Championships and performed at an extremely high level. So it's how you defend mm. as a team and work as a team. And I think that's something that they're still working on. It's something that I think Chelsea, notwithstanding the defeat against City at the weekend, are uh, arguably the best team in Europe at in terms of in, in terms of the balance they they have between defending and attacking. Of course, they'll be defending Juve against Romelu Lukaku, who they know all about from his uh, outstanding work at Inter. And no doubt, will be looking forward to returning to the Allianz Stadium. All right. And next up, let's mop up the rest of the Champions League fixtures and get some league news. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Group G, Wolfsburg taking on Sevilla. Sevilla still unbeaten this season. A, Alvaro. Wolfsburg, by contrast, suffered their first uh, Bundesliga defeat under Mark van Bommel this weekend. They got done 3-1 at Hoffenheim. 
Very quickly on Sevilla, they have conceded only two goals. They are the best defense in Spain so far. Um, it's very obvious who is going to play in the defense. We all know it. The good thing for Sevilla is that then up front they can do rotations, and this is working so far. And Nesiri is not ready for the game. He's the best striker they've got. But Rafa Mir, the former Huesca and Wolverhampton Wanderers player, will play as a number nine, most possibly. And I believe that he's ready to play Champions League football. He did very well in the game against Salzburg. Okay. Rafa, what about Wolfsburg? Yeah, they've been a little bit less impressive uh, of late. Uh, they had a very good start and they were top of the league, as you remember, with their perfect record, but then dropped a few points against Frankfurt, lost now against Hoffenheim. They weren't that convincing in the Champions League. I think they're actually a little bit better than, than they looked uh, at the weekend. They're usually very solid. They don't tend to concede many goals. I think it was maybe uh, a one-off. And uh, I'd expect them to give Sevilla a good game. I think these teams are of reasonable, reasonably similar standards. Sevilla with much more experience, of course, in European football. But I think Wolfsburg would be, would be good uh, as well. So, yeah, an, uh, an interesting one. Maybe not the glamour tie of the, of the week, but I think one that could, right. could produce a very interesting spectacle. It's not Group G for glamour, really, no. I think, probably. No. The, the other two teams in that... In that collection, there are Salzburg and Lille. Jules, how are Lille getting on after their disastrous start? They were very good at the weekend, James. They won away at Strasbourg without Burak Yilmaz, who was uh, rested for, for this Champions League game against um, Salzburg. And, and Timothy Weah, talking about Sonsov, up front with Jonathan David, did really well together. Maybe Lille's best performance so far this season, which is good. It's good, even if Yilmaz is going to come back. Uh, it's good before... This big game against Salzburg, who are doing obviously very, very well in the Austrian league. I think they've won all their games. They scored a million mm. goals and only 13 league games in a row. Mm. Isn't their, their personal best? One of the Bundesliga record. And we saw how, how good they were, even with the lack of experience against Sevilla in that first game. So it's a, it's a big task away from home for Lille. But certainly they prepared for that game as best as they could. Do sons of defenders, do they generally play up the other end of the field? Paolo Maldini obviously doing that very much. Uh, oh, I guess the exception would be Pele's son, who was a goalkeeper. But but you mentioned, you mentioned, who did he just mention there, a forward? And Oh, yeah, well, Timothy Ware is a forward. And Paolo and, Maldini played in defence. <laughs> and Marcus Turam is a striker, and Lilian Turam was not. Yeah, exactly. Marcus Turam, yeah. No, He's but pa Paolo was, Wears. Paolo's the son of Cesare and played in defence. Yeah, oh, I see your point. Yeah, yeah, Cruyff, the two Cruyff. <laughs> Cruyff with both. I think it's probably 50-50. Okay. Oh, the other game, by the way, listener, in Juve and Chelsea's group, I forgot. It's Zenit against Malmo. Zenit, top of the table in Russia. Malmo, second in Sweden, with nine games to go in their season. Crikey. All right, well, let's get some league news because there's been stuff going on that's not Champions League related. Uh, first of all, back to you, James Horncastle, because it was a whopping weekend in Serie A. A weekend which saw such historic moments as Empoli-Bologna with two Scotsmen starting in the same Serie A match for the first time in history. <laughs> yeah, Liam Henderson uh, was playing in midfield for Empoli. Aaron Hickey, the left-back for Bologna. Um, and, yeah, I suppose great to see. I mean, much is always mm. made of whenever English players go out there. We've seen a few more uh, in, in recent years, but... Liam's been been playing in Italy for for a long time now, relatively speaking. I mean, talking about taking taking the plunge to go and play for Bari, um, yeah, then Verona, uh, then uh, Empoli, then Lecce. Now back at uh, back at Empoli, you know, his his dream was always to get into Serie A because Bari were in the second division at the time. He'd always get teams into the playoffs, and they'd either lose the playoffs or they'd win them, and then they would choose to to sign another midfielder over him. So it was it was great when Empoli decided to bring him back once they got promoted, and he has been playing. And Hickey, yeah, we did well this weekend as well. Yeah, I mean he's he's done well. Um, I mean he, he's done well the, the last few weekends. Won a couple of penalties. Um, mm -hmm. Hickey as well. I mean I think he's at, at the right club with the right manager because um, Sinisa has has never had any fear about playing young players, you know, be it uh, giving Donnarumma his debut when he was 16 or 17, uh, telling Vujadin Boskov to put the kid on uh, when he was a player at Roma. That kid was Francesco Totti. So, so yeah, I mean, brilliant for, for, for the pair of them. Uh, and, yeah, I would love to see Liam get a call-up to 
the Scotland squad because I think um, to be playing in Serie A like he has been doing to uh, have established himself there is, is no mean feat. Also this weekend, the Rome derby, Mo Sarri against Mourinho <laughs> and more problems for our buddy Jose. Uh, two defeats in three now for, for Roma under him after their excellent start to the season previously. Yeah, and yeah, we've mentioned that they have problems at the back and those problems continue. Uh, even though Mourinho wanted to blame the referee and the video assistant referee this time around, felt that the Roma should have had a penalty or at least a, a foul should have been called uh, in the build-up to, to Lazio's second goal, scored by Pedro, who Roma released in the summer. Yeah, they've been trying to get rid of players like Javier Pastore, uh, Steven Enzonzi, Davide Santon, Fazio. Pedro was the one who said, yeah, okay, I'm happy to rip up my contract and go. And then he joined Lazio and he became only the third player to score for for Roman and Lazio in that fixture. Um, And yeah, it didn't didn't go well. Um, You know, even with Mourinho complaining, Lucas Leiva should have been sent off. Really, uh, Lazio were the better team. And they, as, as much as Roman missed their captain, Lorenzo Pellegrini, who really kind of pulls the strings and has been one of the best players, if not the best player in Serie A, so far this season the team feels like it lacks balance and, and and Mourinho keeps kind of highlighting that they didn't sign the defensive midfield player he wanted uh, they didn't sign anyone uh, in that position over the summer remember they wanted Granit Xhaka um, so they could maybe pick up a few more red cards um, over the course of the season it didn't happen um, they didn't sign Zakaria who Raf mentioned as well that was another guy that they were linked with um, so yeah they've got a They've got to learn how to defend better as a team. Uh, otherwise, okay. this title challenge that people have been talking up or even just getting back into the top four will be will be tricky. Mm, currently leading the way in the city are Napoli after they picked up their sixth straight victory at the weekend, 2-0 over Cagliari. They're two points clear of Milan, four from Inter. Excellent. Hey, Jules, uh, earlier on you mentioned that Marseille had had their first defeat of the season uh, 3-2 at home to Lens, uh, this despite a brace from Dimitri Payet, but, uh, I mean, which is pretty interesting, but so is the fact that looking down the league on a table, who are bottom? Saint-Étienne. Saint-Étienne, Jules. Yeah, a complete crisis over there. They're trying to sell the club to start with. We thought, and a lot of their fans thought, that this prince from uh, <laughs> Cambodia, is that he's in English? Really? Was, Cambodia? Was Cambodia, that's it, was going to come and be the, um, the rescuer and the saviour. And turns out that it's not just that yet. Uh, and, and more importantly, maybe, because I think that if they keep playing so badly on the pitch and losing, I'm not sure who's going to buy them, really, because they still haven't won this season. It's the derby against Lyon coming up on, on Sunday as well. Claude Puel Oof. now is under even more pressure from his own fans who had a quite hostile banner against him at the weekend, uh, asked for his sacking, so which is not good at all. And they, it's not that they don't play well. They make mistakes. I'm not sure Puel has found the right formation and tactics at the moment to, to, to stop this incredible bad run that they're on it. And even if Lyon dropped some more points at the weekend and only drew... Um, they were they're still far better than this Saint Etienne team, and I cannot see how Saint Etienne can cannot get beaten in the derby on Sunday. So, I think there's more misery to come, and I'm not sure what that means for Claude Puel. But I would not be surprised if he if he was not going to last much longer. Why? And what about Saint Etienne themselves, bottom of the table? When was the last time they they weren't in the top flight? So they did a bit of yo-yos uh, ten years ago. I think the last time maybe they went down. Um, but, but when Christophe Galtier was there, then we go back again on those, you know, picking the right manager. And, and I think in Christophe Galtier, they had an amazing guy who then obviously went on to Lille and won the title. And now he's doing great things at Nice. And once they lost him and they finished, I think, fourth, three seasons in a row with him. After that, it was, it was a struggle. And yes, they don't have any money, so it's hard to recruit good players. They've got an amazing academy, but they also have to sell those uh, kids that they produce, like Saliba, like Fofana, because they need the money from their transfer to keep things going. So it would be good for the money from Kadobia to come. The problem is, I'm not sure if, 
if it would be him and I'm not sure whoever comes in and buys this club will be able to have a quick fix and suddenly bring Saint-Etienne all the way back to the top. That's all very sad. Uh, Alvaro, let's finish off then with some really positive news from La Liga with Radamel Falcao continuing his amazing start at Rayo Vallecano. It's now three in three matches. Boom. Yeah, and it's not three in 270 minutes, not at all. I mean, he hasn't played all the minutes. Against Athletic Club Bilbao, he scored the winner at Samames, unfortunately for us, uh, last midweek. And this weekend, he scored again. Look, he looks kind of sharp. Uh, he's still Rayo's best man in the, in the small box. And he made the right decision moving to Vallecas because he went to a club which is in a little bit of a turmoil uh, between the fan base and the owner because the fan base is not happy with the ownership. Whatever. Rayo Vallecano has a manager that wants to attack. They are producing many chances. At the end of it is Radamel Falcao, so he's going to score goals. And Reinaldo Rueda, the manager of Colombia, said uh, a month ago that he was going to start capping those players who play not those players who's got a big name, um, for example, Jaime Rodríguez or Radamel Falcao. So Falcao's decision to go to Rayo was good, after all. Uh, I'm very happy for the guy. Uh, he's been very humble since he came to Spain. And Rayo, at the minute, they are at the top um, half of the table. And, you know, they are in European positions, so hats off. Brilliant. Is he still wearing that pink jacket at all? <laughs> I'm not too sure. I haven't followed his... Uh, his etiquette lately, uh, he's got the number three. I mean, that, that's, that's peculiar enough, I think. Right, okay, cool. <laughs> Jules, you remember the jacket. No, we signed for Monaco in the... Yeah, you know? and obviously the number three that Alvaro um, mentioned there in tribute to his, to his father, who was obviously himself a professional player, a defender, James, to go back on your point, that sometimes defenders' son don't become defenders, but strikers. And in the case of Falcao, great strikers as well. And his, his father passed away... Uh, cardiac arrest two years ago after playing tennis and I think as a tribute to his dad Radamel is now um, wearing the number three which was the number of his dad when he was playing professional football in, in South America well, That's a lovely story Jules, what position did you play when you were any good? I played in midfield and my children played really? in midfield so Okay, but what your sons where do they play when they're <laughs> turning out for Watford? In midfield Okay I want to see you play, man I heard a lot of compliments. <laughs> Don't listen to them. You wait till you see Raphael. Only, what, five years till he debuts at Vicarage Road? <laughs> Fingers, Fingers crossed. crossed. Fingers crossed. Remember the name. Excellent. All right, well, that's enough of all of that. Rafa, unless there's anything else you want to tell us about. Rafa doesn't want to tell you anything. <laughs> enough. He's had enough. And you have two, to be fair. So let's let you enjoy all that midweek action. Mm -mm -mm. BT Sport 1, 7.45 Tuesday, Wednesday, if you like. Uh, have yourself a great time. Many thanks to James, Alvaro, Julian, Rafa, producer Charlie, and you, listener, from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.